So, whoa. Um, I don't know who's in charge of this thing, but okay, I'll okay, put it a bit further away. Um, I was thinking about today's gospel, and I think you could maybe sum up the main idea um, that God, Jesus, wants to give us rest. And ultimately, the rest of heaven. And ultimately, that's also why I think why we build companies, why we go on vacation, why we love great meals, why we get drunk, why we listen to music, why we send people to the moon. It's because there's this big, big hole in our hearts that ultimately nobody can fulfill, can fill except for God himself, right? So that's kind of the idea. And there was three um, main, um, how shall I say, three images that, that come to mind parting from the readings that we just heard that helped me to understand that a little bit better, and I'd like to share them with you. And at the same time, there may be three movements that, that can help us to move towards rest, not just in eternity, but already here now. And the three images that come to mind is a wedding. The second is a statue. And the third is a prayer. So a wedding, a statue, and a prayer. And the three movements are kind of from monologue to dialogue, from humility or from pride to humility. And the third movement is kind of really believing in the power of the Spirit. So let's try to unpack that in this gospel, in this, in this short time that we have together. Um, is this too loud? Is this okay? Can you, is it, is it okay? Um, in the microphone I use in Vienna, I have to be like this, but that's too loud here. Um, so the first image is, for me, that helps me is the wedding. And if you, well, actually last weekend, I was celebrating a wedding in the middle of the mountains in Austria. And from a couple that I've known a long time, especially the lady, um, I've known her more than 20 years, and which means that she's not the youngest anymore. Well, um, she's 45, I think, and he's like 60. And they're both, well, especially him, is coming back to the faith. And I'm just saying, oh, and she was in the in a monastery and she left again and she you knows she and I was kind of I knew her kind of her life like this and and it was just so beautiful to be finally say yes she's finally married thank God and she's finally found the person right and so I was really happy and afterwards as it happens in weddings right I love weddings but anyway afterwards I was there was a the typical meal that you have afterwards and a big celebration and I was sitting on this table and they had different names for the different tables. And the table that I was sitting on was called Mystical. Mystical. I thought, OK, whatever. And then it very soon became apparent that this was a setup. Because everybody on that table, and it became apparent for me, and it became apparent for those people, the other people on the table. Because every single person on that table had its issues with church or were far away from anything we could call organized religion and so they were sitting together with this priest and they're saying oh my god what kind of a celebration is this going to be this going to be really and so they were trying to provoke you know during the one say i've been living together with her for 32 years you know and then the other guy says when he's testing the wine he says some colorful word that i'm not going to repeat here and his girlfriend is looking at him and saying you can't say that there's a priest there and, she, and he says well am i gonna go to hell for that you know and so th there's 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 kind of this, but little by little, we started having really interesting conversation. And as it often happens to me, 
with conversations with people that are a bit further away from the faith and really don't know our spiritual, our, like our, our whole tradition. And, and, and so I don't say that disrespectfully. I can understand where they're coming from. But usually at some point, there's a question that also came last Saturday night at around 10 o'clock at night. So do you live, really live celibacy? And isn't this thing something like should we should just get rid of it? Isn't it too old? You, I mean, you, why do you have to live that? Isn't that you know, curbing your freedom? And I, I tried to control my, my smile, you know, and I said, I think it's pretty cool to tell you the truth, you know. And, 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 I, and I can understand where you're coming from because you've heard about all these scandals in the church about this whole, this whole issue, right? And so, and so you, you're thinking, well, a lot of these priests, they don't really live what they're saying. And, and that's probably true. Like, you know, there's been lots of cases like that. So I understand that. And, and then there's maybe some that are hypocrites and some that are just a bit crazy that try to live something like this. But, you know, I, I do think that it's, and it's a prophetic sign. And then I try to explain what I mean by prophetic sign. You know, because if somebody really is living that, and he seems to be quite happy in doing so, well, you know, either he's crazy, or maybe there's something really true about heaven, that maybe God can really fill a whole life, and there's something more, then maybe he really does exist, right? Because it's, it's you're saying, why is this person, because it's not normal, right? No, God Created man and woman. To, I mean, that's the whole idea. Have family, get married, have kids, and somebody's living this, and he's living it with happiness. And I said, and I can't explain that to you, right? Because, because, well, it's my relationship with Jesus, not yours. It's like, and I was looking at the guy who's sitting together. He's known his girlfriend for the last five months, and they're together, and they're just, you know, they're freshly fallen in love, like they're totally, and. And how are you going to explain why are you falling in love with this woman and why are you falling in love with this guy? I mean, somebody else who's fallen in love with somebody else can kind of follow what this is all about. But the, your love for each other is totally inaccessible to somebody from outside. They can't understand it because it's your love, right? It's your experience. And so how can I explain to you my relationship with Jesus, with our Lord, it's my experience. You're saying, well, you know, where is he? Well, I, I don't know. I've, I've been living this for 30 years, and I feel like I've fallen in love yesterday, and it's getting worse all the time. And is, is, that, is that because I'm so awesome? Or No, it's just a pure grace, right? It's something I am totally grateful for. And, and, then, and then they said, yeah, but I, st okay, okay, we can kind of get that, what you're saying, but, but, but why this, why, why this sacrifice and why this, you know, you're, you're, you're curbing your freedom? And I said, well, I, I, and then I try to think, well, maybe, maybe I can try to explain it this way. Like think, let's say one of you on a business trip, you've been sent to Japan or to China or someplace in Malaysia. And as it's common today, you know, you get an accompaniment offered for the evening to have some fun, you know, and... And, and the fact that you say no to that offer, to that accompaniment for the evening, is a beautiful act of love for your spouse or your husband or your wife who's sitting at home, right? So that, that sacrifice of saying no to that possibility 
is a beautiful act of love for, for, for the person sitting at home. And, and that's how I see my relationship to Jesus. It's not saying, oh God, I can't marry. It's saying yes to something else. You know, when I, when I, when I meet young couples in, in Vienna and, and the guy, he just loves Wiener Schnitzel. No, he just loves Schnitzel. And let's say she loves sushi. Well, the guy's got to be willing once in a while to forgo his schnitzel so that we can go have some sushi because she loves it. And it's not because, oh God, I can't have schnitzel. But it's, I love my girlfriend, right? It, so we're not masochists. We don't love suffering for the sake of suffering. But we're, we're saying that there is no love without sacrifice. And maybe we priests are here to remind everybody about that, right? So it's, anyway, and, and so I was thinking, you know, about this whole thing about having rest. I don't know how it is for you, but if my faith in God and in Jesus is, is all these things I can't do, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do the other thing, oh God, I can't do the other thing either, well, then to hell with it all, right? I mean, who wants to live a life like that? But that's not what it's about, right? Our, our relationship to God is all about, it's a relationship. It's a way, for, not a monologue with myself and all the things I can't do, but it's a relationship with someone who's incredibly in love with us, who wants to give us the fullness of life, who wants to give us eternal happiness and peace and joy and and. And, and that's something so beautiful, right? And I think our Christian faith starts making sense in the degree that we relive it as a relationship and not as a monologue with myself and I've got to do this and I've got to do that. Of course, my relationship has consequences. I'm not going to do certain things and I'm going to do certain other things. But it's because I'm in a relationship, not other, other, any other reasons, right? So that's kind of one idea. And the second, the second idea is stepping on the gas here a little bit, is um, the statue. So the statue. And here the movement is, not a, is kind of a way, or away from pride towards humility. Or maybe another way to say this is managing your expectations. Managing your expectations. So let's say that the third temptation that Jesus had in the desert, if you remember, he had three, you know, turn the rock into bread, and the other is throw yourself down from the temple, and everybody's going to say how awesome you are because nothing's going to happen, and like you're the Messiah, and, you know, so it's kind of the temptation of vanity. And then the third temptation is maybe the most dangerous one also for us, I think, and it's the temptation of pride. Fall, you know, throw yourself down before me, and I'm going to give you control over everything, and, 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 you know, and you're gonna you're gonna be the one who has power and strength, and and it's a temptation to want to control everything. It's a temptation of pride, and especially the prideful person looks for his identity. He looks for his security. He looks for his well, in a certain sense, that what what he prays or he adores is this image of himself. This is where the statue comes in, like you know, Saint Patrick, Saint George. My name is George. You know, so, like, I build a statue of my, I build a statue myself in the clouds. That's not really me, but that's who I would like to be. You know, so I have this statue of myself, and then I read in the scriptures, the just man falls seven times a day, and the just man is a saint. So at least seven times a day, that statue goes, like, just gets blown into smithereens. 
Because that's not me. And I go to confession, and two minutes later, I do the same thing. Father, bless me, Father, I have sinned. I've been really angry at my husband, or at my wife, or at my kids. And I go out, and the kid is doing something, and how could you possibly? And it's, oh, I just went to confession. And then, then you're so angry at yourself because you've messed up again. But not because you've hurt Jesus, but because that self-image of yourself has just been blown into smithereens, right? So the dangerous thing with pride is that it pretends to be humility. I'm so bad. I'm so terrible. You know, and I, I put in my favorite song in my ear pods. By the way, I've got these hearing aids. It's really awesome because they're connected to my telephone. So I could be listening to books right now and like while I'm speaking to you. you know, nobody notices. I can talk on the telephone to this. People look at me kind of strange sometimes walking down the street looking at this priest, you know, because he's talking on the phone through his, ear, his, his hearing aid. But anyway, and then I, you know, I can... I, I, I have this, this, this image of myself, and that's the dangerous thing with pride, is it's my expectation that I put on myself. I, you know, the, German, the German economy loses between one and four billion euros every year because of burnout. And that's a complicated theme, the burnout, I know. But a lot of times it's because people look for their identity in what they're capable of performing in their performance instead of who they are, right? It's this danger of pride. I am who I think I would like to be. And then I realize that I'm not that, and I'm frustrated, and I'm angry, and I'm flustered, and, and, I, and I put in my favorite song into my earphones. It's called, How Terrible I Am. And then Jesus comes knocking on my door, on my heart, and says, Hello, hello. Like the shutters are down and the lights are out and I'm just dancing around myself. I'm so terrible. You no, know, the rest of the day is messed up because I got angry at my husband again or my wife or my kids. And then Jesus gets down on his knees and tries to like holler through the crack underneath the door. Sorry, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but more or less. Hello, can you for one second just stop thinking about yourself? You know, because the reason why I'm so angry at myself is because I'm not so perfect like I would like to be. No. So the way to peace also is a way of humility, to say, Jesus, I'm really sorry for this, but I'm not going to lose a single second in useless lamentations about the past. I'm going to get up again. I know it doesn't matter that I fall a thousand times as long as I love fighting and not the falling. Right? We're not perfect, but we're trying to go on a pathway. And sometimes the ideal frustrates us instead of inspiring us. And then the third idea, third movement, I don't know how to say this in a good way, but or, or like um, to explain this even, we, in the second reading today we heard six times the word spirit. Through the spirit of God we're able to crucify the works of the flesh. Now this is Paul's way of saying you can't make yourself a saint. You need the work of the Holy Spirit in you. And you need to really believe in the work of the Holy Spirit in you. And because he really does work. You know, we're not some kind of self-redeeming religion, but we believe that he, our Lord, is the one who's redeeming us. And so to really believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, and that, that has a lot of practical consequences. For example, the way that we pray. And I remember, like, in our church, 
in our parish in Vienna, we have a lot of young people, but a lot of them coming out of totally dysfunctional um, backgrounds, and they're really messed up a lot of times. And, and so after Mass, we have this time of prayer, and the priest or whoever is standing in front and inviting people to come to let themselves be prayed for. And I remember once there was this young person who was suffering from depression, and I was praying for this person, and, and you know, like, because you've got to pray, and because I've been... Well, the depression was gone, like, gone. And, and that doesn't mean that we don't work with psychologists, etc. Also, you know, sometimes, um, yeah, you really need the help of a professional. But in this case, the depression was just, it was just gone. And I was shocked that the prayer was actually heard. And I don't know how it is for you, but sometimes we pray like somebody who's playing for an ice hockey team. Um, I won't mention any names, but where you think, we're never going to win the Stanley Cup. Like, there's no way. But you play along because, well, you got to play along. But you know you're never going to win, but you kind of play along. And that's sometimes how we can pray. Like, we kind of pray along, but you don't really expect God to show up. And I was shocked because he showed up. And, and we should be praying like that. And we should be coming to God like that with our, with our intentions and our worries and our problems and to just giving them to him. And sometimes in his providence, he's not going to hear it because it's the best thing for me and I don't understand why. But sometimes he's going to show up and, and, and it's so sad that you know, he, he wants to give us these gifts but sometimes we don't, we don't even try opening them up because we don't really believe that he wants to give us his gifts. So if we're looking for peace, uh, uh, just summing up these ideas, I mean, there's many other things one could maybe say, but kind of three ideas today, how we can find this peace that God wants to give us. I think the first is this realization, like to live my Christian life not as a monologue, but as a dialogue with somebody who really loves me. Like, it's about the wedding. He, God wants to marry the human race, so to speak. I mean, it's the best metaphor that we have to explain this incredible love that he has for us. And the second idea is to really manage our expectations that we have of ourselves, right? And, and, and to have the humility to realize, I'm not God. Like, wake up and smell the coffee. You know, I'm imperfect. And that's not the end of the world. And and the third idea is to really believe in the power of the Holy Spirit that he can change us. Um, yeah, and let's put that all in God's hands and, and let's pray that he might help us to find true peace. Amen.